Wow. God's doing great things at all peoples. And you are right in the middle of it. You know, I'm going to be talking today about generosity. And for some of you, when you hear someone's going to teach on generosity, it's kind of like climbing a rock climbing wall. You kind of go, okay, where are they going with this? Can I make this reach? Am I going to fall off? But uh, we're going to see that generosity has more to do about the nature of God than it does about uh, our own stretch. The title of this message is God's Radical Generosity. And we're going to see that the word radical means to lay the axe to the root, like John the Baptist saying that God's laid the axe to the root. And God will radically lay the, the axe to the root of all selfishness in our life as we just study his nature. Because God is a giver. We know the, the most famous scripture, God so loved the world that he gave. That is his nature. That's his central attribute. When we talk about radical generosity, we're talking about the very nature of the heart of God. And this was more or less real to me. But when my second son, Joshua, came up to me and he said, Dad, we're moving to Thailand to plant a church. And I realized it wasn't God so loving the world that he gave his son, but now it was Craig so loving the world that Craig would have to give his son, not my only son, but my number two son, and worse than that, three grandchildren to Thailand, halfway around the world, that it hit home that uh, maybe God had to lay the ax to the root in my own heart so that I could be as generous as him. So uh, it's a radical kind of generosity when God Almighty takes his most precious relationship, his son, and in order to replicate it in our lives, he gives his son, as we were singing about, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we, we know the beautiful picture of the temple where every morning before anything else, the priest would lay the lamb on the altar and the lamb would burn on that altar. It would be a burnt offering. In other words, all of the lamb would go up in smoke. And then at the evening, another lamb was placed on the, the altar. So perpetually, there was always a lamb on the altar. And that's a picture of Jesus and, and the way God sees our salvation. He is perpetually the lamb of God that God's given. And then the other picture that relates to Abraham is that God spoke to Abraham one day, and he said, Abraham, I want you to give your son, Isaac, kind of like me giving my son Joshua, but this is a little more radical, offer your son up on Mount Moriah as an offering to me. And we look at it today in uh, Western eyes in our century, we go, well, what in the world? You know, Abraham went off the deep end there, but God spoke to him. He said, take your son, Isaac, who wasn't a little boy. Some of the paintings, you have little Isaac, about 11 years old. No, this was Isaac, who's probably 34 or 35 years old who could pin his father to the ground. Uh, take that son, your only son, the son in whom all your promise and all your hope lie, and take him up on that mountain, Mount Moriah, and offer him as a sacrifice. And we know the story. Abraham tied up his son on this altar of living stones, and the son said, where is the sacrifice? And Isaac realized that he was the sacrifice, and he cooperated with his, son, with his father in order to be the lamb in that moment. And then God provided a ram, and we know the rest of the story. Well, 
God required that of Abraham because God was making a covenant with Abraham in which God actually did sacrifice his only son on the same mountain, on Mount Moriah. When Jesus died on the cross, it was God fulfilling his end of the, of the bargain. It was, a, it was a radical generosity. So God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his Isaac. He bound his son on the altar. And God invites us to join him in building his kingdom. And that's what this weekend's all about, thinking about what God wants to do in the earth today. And as we were worshiping, I was thinking about the very first believer in this region. Can you imagine maybe three centuries ago, maybe the first Spanish missionaries came here or the first missionaries from the east came here, and there was someone who was the first convert Maybe the first convert from their tribe or from their family to believe. And then maybe this tribe on down the valley, there was a first convert. There's always a number one. There's a first convert that makes the way for the rest of their family, the rest of their tribe. And I imagine on that day, you will meet that first convert in this region, the first one who took a step of faith. And they're going to look you in the eye and they're going to say, thank you for carrying on the torch and thank you for building the kingdom in this place. Because what they started in my heart, you've been able to continue in your generation. And it goes from generation to generation to generation, even as we were singing. So God invites us to join him in building his kingdom. It goes all the way back to Abraham and Isaac. To this end, he gives each of us assignments. And in our mind, it seems like small things that he asks us to do. But in each assignment, it, it's a defining faithfulness that reveals something about the heart of God. Uh, one of our youth pastors was at a restaurant in Dallas. Oh, by the way, I'm from Gateway Church in Dallas. Uh, greetings from Texas. There's 220 countries for you guys to reach, but if you count Texas, there's 221. So uh, I'm from the Republic of Texas. So one of our youth pastors in Dallas was, uh, was out to dinner with some friends, and he had a little daughter, about seven years old, she goes, can I, can I go to the ladies' room? So she goes back to the women's room there, and he kept an eye on her. He watched her go back there. Everything was cool. And then she came back maybe five minutes later, and then at the end of the meal, he asked for the check. So beautiful. And the server said, oh, it's been taken care of. And his little daughter went to the front of the restaurant and she had $50 because she had lost some teeth and, they, and the tooth fairy had left her some money. She paid for the family's dinner with her $50. And she didn't tell anyone because that's what she saw her dad do. She saw generosity modeled in her father's life. And what's in the head will be in the family. And I guarantee you, whatever Isaac saw when... Abraham was willing to give his only son. That was imparted to Isaac. And Isaac was able to impart it to Jacob. And then it rolled down through the generations. And generosity is like that. You can't fake it. You either have it or you don't. And what's in the head at all peoples will be in the body at all peoples. And Robert is a very generous man. Very sacrificial man. And I've seen his his radical generosity. And because of that, I know what's already in your heart. And um, 
I was thinking about our church, Gateway Church. Our church is known for generosity. It's probably the most generous church I've ever been a part of. And that's because of our pastor. Pastor Robert, another great man of God named Robert, uh, just has it in his heart to be generous with everyone around him. And I've been on staff 16 years, and I've just seen him model that. And he was talking about a story where um, there was a man at the church who went out to the parking lot and saw a woman, looked like maybe a single mom, she had a couple kids, and he was just prompted to give her a $100 bill. So he was telling the story anonymously, and then his daughter came up to him, and she said, Dad, that was you, wasn't it? Because his daughter has seen him do that over and over again. And it's true, you can't fake it. Your kids see who you are. And there's no greater gift to give your children than that gift of generosity and a generous heart. And sometimes we think that what we need to give our children is common sense, realism. We need to make sure their feet are on the ground. We need to give them a good education. We need to make, we, we need to make sure they're grounded. But hey, if you're a good parent, you give your children two things. You give your children roots, but you also give your children wings. And all of our children need wings to fly. Every one of them has a destiny. And they need to see modeled in you what Isaac saw modeled in Abraham. A, a radical generosity, a willingness to lay it all down for the kingdom of God. So God in, invites us to join him in his kingdom. It's so important. Matthew 25, 21 says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. Now I'll make you ruler over many things. Hey, let me tell you something about this life. Hey, I, I've been in the ministry 40 years. I've, we raised nine kids. I have 15 grandkids. I've got some stories to tell about life. How long do you got? This life is all about small things. This life is all about small things. But we try to make it about big things. God looks to see if we're faithful with our little two-year-old, our little three-year-old, faithful to pray for them, faithful to model Jesus' character to them. We think life's about big things. I'm going to start a big business and do big kingdom things, but God says, no, it's always about small things. One of the most famous commandments is love your neighbor as yourself, but that's singular. He doesn't say love the world as you love yourself. Love the divine appointment that's right in front of you. Be faithful with the relationship that's right here. Let God love you today and then share that love with one person. That's faithfulness. It's not the big dream. It's being faithful with a few things. I remember when I was a student, I'd just gotten saved. I had a Volkswagen van. Now, I know uh, on the beach you'll still see them. Uh, back then, there were more of them, but I had this Volkswagen van, and we, there was a missions trip we were going to go on during spring break. So I was at the University of Kentucky, and I filled my van with all the students, and we are going to drive down to the University of Florida, and we are going to help a church open up during spring break. So we get to Georgia. We're in Atlanta, Georgia. There's a few hills, and you know what happens with a Volkswagen van when you load it with people, and there's a hill? It doesn't have enough power to get over the hill. So I'm, I'm like, but, 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 
my engine blows up outside of Atlanta, Georgia. I don't have any money. I don't have any resources. And there were no iPhones back then. I was just, I, I was stuck. So I found a tow truck. He towed me to a gas station. They said they put another engine in. And I thought, this is such a waste of time. This is horrible. Everyone's waste of time. I don't make money for this. What am I going to do? And I was just depressed the whole time. So some friends of ours picked us up. We go down to the University of Florida, and there's a frat house that they were going to turn into a church. So that whole week, I'm, I'm scraping paint and painting this frat house. Finally, they go, you know, this, is gonna, this horse trough here is going to be the baptismal. I'm like, okay. So I'm scraping a horse trough, and I'm going, did they really need me on this trip? So we drive uh, past Atlanta. I wanted to see my van. I go, hey, did you put the engine in the van? The guy that worked at the gas station was living in my van. He hadn't done a thing. So I'm just complaining the whole time. I get back home. Finally, I get my van fixed. But it turned out that when that church opened up, My wife was one of the first students that got saved in that church. And she was baptized in that baptismal where I complained the whole week. Faithful in a little thing. God makes you ruler over much. Abraham's blessing as he left or the Chaldees with Lot, his brother. God said, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. Make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So, so Abraham was, was an international guest in Canaan. And I, I, I've got something for you. If, if you were born in a country other than the United States, I want you to stand up real quick. You're born in another country. Okay, you are an Abraham. Don't think that you came to San Diego for a job. Don't think you came to San Diego uh, to get your degree. You came to San Diego to bless this nation. And just like Abraham, in you, this nation is blessed because you are here. The United States is yours, California is yours, and San Diego is yours. Abraham's blessing is your blessing. So Isaac understood God's generous heart by seeing his father, and God required Abraham to give his only son Isaac because that was the pattern. So God is a giver. Secondly, God is extravagant. He's not just a giver, he's an extravagant giver. Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Okay, God could have blessed me with 10% of the blessings that are in heaven. I would have taken it. But here it says he blesses me with every single spiritual blessing that you can find anywhere in the heavens. Every one of them. I'm blessed in Jesus Christ. He's extravagant in his blessing. 
He's an extravagant giver, and it glorifies him when we're as generous as he is. Extravagant generosity is a lifestyle that reflects God's nature. Now, when I say extravagant, some of you think wasteful. I'm not talking about wasting. I'm talking about uh, expressing wholeheartedly the blessing and the extravagance of God. Here's your homework. Practice blessing people. Practice blessing people. That next person you meet. Bless those who curse you. There's a good place to start. Oh, thank you. You just cursed me. I'm going to bless you right now. Driving to work, you know, the traffic's kind of rough. You see that person right over there. Hey, I'm blessing you right now. Do good to those who hate you. The person in that cubicle that hates you. Do good to them. When you bake yourself an apple pie, bake them an apple pie. And just bring it to them and do good. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, that you might be an Isaac to Abraham. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust and beautiful fog. I love the fog in San Diego. It covers all of us. You shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. It's a royal generosity. In 1 Kings 10, now Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all she desired, this royal generosity. Whatever she asked, besides what Solomon had given her, according to the royal generosity, that's the phrase. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. A guest comes here on Sunday. Just give them everything. A royal generosity. Open up your heart. Be a blessing everywhere you go. Solomon was extravagant in his generosity towards God. God required him to sacrifice a bull to consecrate the temple. What did he do? He sacrificed a thousand bulls. Can you imagine the priests that were serving that day? Okay, how many has this been? Twelve. How many more? I, I don't know. They keep coming. A thousand bulls on the altar in one day. It was an extravagant worship, a royal generosity. Where did Solomon learn this royal generosity? Try to know the answer from his father. Because David was generous toward the house of God. First Chronicles 29.2, David said, With all my resources I provided for the temple of my God, gold for the gold, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, wood for the wood. Hey, you guys are building a building. I'll tell you how it's going to be built. God's going to use your wallet, and it's going to be gold for gold, silver for silver, bronze for bronze, iron for iron, and wood for wood, okay? He's going to pour through you. That was the phrase you guys used, wasn't it? That God doesn't just, uh, yeah, we don't give to, we give through. So God is going to give through you all the resources necessary to build that building, okay? So you just need to be a, a spout that God pours through. And then you just need to open up your heart and go, Lord, you know, this has been my opening to give. I'm just gonna open it a little bit more. Just pour through me. Hey, I'm gonna challenge you, Lord. Just pour through me till every need is met. And then watch what God does. God loves a cheerful giver. 
a hilarious giver, one that goes, I could never have done this. You know, I was praying about this message, and, you know, you get kind of introspective when you pray a message. you got to go, Lord, you know, am I actually doing what I'm saying to, to do? And then he, he reminded me, last week my wife and I gave a missionary a car. A tr- it was actually a truck. I'd forgotten we gave him a truck. I go, Lord, am I qualified to talk on generosity? Uh, yeah, you gave the missionary a truck last week. Okay, okay, going on, moving on, moving on. Number three, he makes your life a blessing, okay? So you become a, an extravagant giver, and he makes your life a blessing, which is a whole lot better than being a curse. You know, some people, it's Thanksgiving, you got to invite the uncle, but he's more of a curse than a blessing. Hebrews 6.13, for when God made a promise saying, surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. So he wants to create this momentum of blessing and multiplication in each of our lives. The priestly blessing that Aaron used to pray over Israel had to do with this. The Lord said to Moses, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, this is the way you're to bless the children of Israel. Say to them, now this is the blessing we've all heard, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom, wholeness, give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. Do you want your name on your life, on your children, on your work, on everything you put your hands to? Receive the blessing so that you can be a blessing. This was so important that every time the the children of Israel would gather at the temple, the priests would pray this blessing over them and put the name of God on the people. And, And the rabbis would say, if there's something wrong with your hand, like if you have a rash on your hand, or if your hand is deformed in any way, we don't want you to give the ironic blessing because people are going to be distracted. They're going to be looking at your hand instead of looking through you to your God. So they, they had to examine each other's hands, make sure their hands didn't distract from the message, from the blessing, because they wanted to make sure that the name of God was placed on Israel. Okay. Well, we have a great high priest. And after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection... His last words were that same blessing. It says he lifted up his hand and he blessed them. It was the ironic blessing. And he was going into the ultimate holy of holies. But when he lifted up his hands, there were scars. And the last thing they saw as he blessed them were his scars in his wrists. And then he ascended up into heaven. Because the scars didn't detract from putting the name of God on on God's people. The scars actually revealed God's nature and character and placed his name on his people. And that's the way it is with us with generosity. Jesus lifts up his hand to bless us, but he blesses us at a price. And that's why we talk about a radical generosity, because it does a work in our heart in a very deep place when we worship him and we allow him to put his his name upon us and we become a vessel that he pours his generosity through. It costs Jesus everything. Number four, God rewards your generosity. Proverbs 22, 9. He who has a generous eye will be blessed. 
Get ready to get convicted here. What is your point of view towards other people's generosity? You know what a Jesus freak is? Anyone that's more radical than you. You know, they're a little weird, they're a little freaky. What is your view towards other people's generosity? I, I mentioned to you the situation with my Volkswagen van there. So, so I was saved as a college student, and I started to tithe. Well, I told my parents, and they were furious. They go, you cannot give any money to God. I worked at McDonald's. You cannot give any money to God because you don't have any money to give. And you're a student. God does not expect a student to give anything. And it just went on and on and on and on. They were, they were just furious. So my mom finally goes, I'm bringing you to my pastor. And I'm going to sit you down, and he's going to straighten you out. So that Sunday, we're sitting in church. <laughs> and the pastor preaches on tithing and sacrificial giving. And I, I still remember her hand going into my knee like this. And she goes, I'm so sorry. And that was the last I ever heard about that. So my wife was a gator. She got saved in that outreach, University of Florida. Well, here's the rest of the story. She was living with her boyfriend, and they were planning on getting married. He wasn't the right guy. So she goes to this new church. They, they go to the church for marriage counseling. And uh, my friend who started this church there in Gainesville, he goes, okay, what, what are your addresses? He's just filling out the form. Oh, oh, same address, okay. And he thinks, well, maybe we should back up here and, and, and maybe talk about your relationship here. So he started talking about uh, purity, holiness, then coming together in, uh, in marriage, what a Christian marriage looked like. Well, my wife was furious. She was arguing with him on every point while her fiancé was going, okay, yeah, that sounds good. They leave the church. He goes, I'm never going back there again. And she was just convicted. Well, it turns out they ended up breaking up and was pregnant. She goes back to the church. She says, well, there's not going to be a wedding. But what am I going to do? I'm, I'm pregnant. So for nine months, they said, you know, pray about this. Pray about what to do. So she just prayed about this. She agonized over the fact that she was going to give birth to this baby. And it was almost the eight month of her pregnancy that God spoke to her and said, I want you to put this child up for adoption. And whatever you give to me, I'll give back to you 100%. So she gave birth to the baby. They found a, a family Sorry, a pastor and his wife in Kentucky that couldn't have a child. And there was a private adoption, and they were able to uh, adopt this little child, name him David. So there was this, this promise that God spoke to her about a hundredfold return. After she recovered from giving birth to, the, to David, she was asked to join an evangelistic task force that went from campus to campus in, in the southeast. She was the number one soul winner of anyone that was on that, that task force. And she ended up traveling around the world and preaching with this task force. 
And they were all going, there's your hundredfold return. Well, she ended up marrying me. I didn't know about this hundredfold return thing. And <laughs> in four years, we had four children. And then she told me about the promise, and I said, well, four down, 96 to go. I, I mean, do the math. So, so here we are. So we've been married 40 years. We raised four kids. We didn't raise 100. We raised four. We sent all four to a, a private school in Texas. You may, may have heard of it. It's called Baylor. Um, they all found a church called Antioch. They were all discipled in Antioch. And uh, that's where our number two son got the call to go to Thailand as a missionary. But after we had raised our kids and I could see our promised land, uh, women, you don't realize this, but for your husbands, the promised land is when your kids grow up and move out. They'll never admit it, but it's the truth, you know. My wife would go, oh, don't you wish they were still little babies? And I'd go, no, absolutely not. Grow them up and move them out. Hey, it's the way all the guys think. They just, I don't know if they'll tell you. Yeah, right, right, right. So the kids were all at Berkeley, uh, at Berkeley, all at Baylor. And we're sitting on the front row minding our own business one day. And then they start flashing the video announcements. You know there's subliminal announcements in those videos. When that guy was climbing the rock wall, they were flashing things at you like, be sure to volunteer for the worship team. And you're like, is he going to make it? to? I think I'm going to join the worship team. I'm sitting there, they're flashing these missions videos at Gateway, and they, they were going to bring 34 Russian orphans to our church and find homes for them. So my, my wife looks at it, and she turns to me, and she goes, I think God wants us to adopt some of those kids. And I said, well, what do you mean by some? Thinking <laughs> that 96 number was still like, And she said, those three right there, so they have the faces of these little Russian orphans. Those three, no one will ever adopt three. Two brothers and a sister. No one will ever adopt three. And I said, well, what makes you think I will? She said, you're a pastor. You have to pray. So I, I go, I said, Lord, okay, surely you would never ask us to adopt three Russian kids, but I have to pray. I'm a pastor. And he goes, do it. Just like that, do it. Start going through the process of international adoption. We found homes for everyone at Gateway except this one kid. So the couple that's in charge of them, you know what happened. They, they thought I was the mark. They, they, they come up to me, they go, oh, it's so wonderful you're adopting three kids. Would you consider adopting Vitaly as well? No one wants Vitaly. I'll pray about it. Okay. So we ended up processing four kids to adopt. 
So this Vitaly, who I've never met, starts writing me letters. Dear Daddy and Mommy, I love you. I, I don't know how you could write in English, but I was getting these English letters. <laughs> I love you. I can't wait till you come to Russia to get me. I, I can't wait to move to Texas. And so we're getting these letters, and we're, it's getting close to the time we're going to adopt these kids. And then one of the families uh, was released quicker than us. They, they went to Russia to pick up their, their little girl. And Vitaly runs up to them and grabs Rob around the waist like this and goes, are you my father? I'm ready, I'm ready. And Rob's like, no, I'm, that's Craig. He's not here yet. <laughs> like, like that. So Vitaly gets on his little bicycle, his little orphan bicycle, rides all the way across town to say goodbye to Rob as Rob gets on the train. Like that. So Rob looks me up at church. He goes, get over there. He's haunting me. I can't stand it. Okay, okay, we'll, we'll get over there. So last letter, Vitaly writes a letter. I, I love you. And by the way, my sister wants you to adopt her too. We went up to five. I can talk to you about radical generosity. I can go like this and you can see the, <laughs> the wounds. So we flew to Moscow, took a train to Penza, took a taxi cab to Kuznets, and in one day we adopted five more kids. There's two trees in your heart, two trees in my heart. One tree is a tree of generosity. One tree is a tree of selfishness. They both grow in our hearts. You have to lay the ax to one of the trees. Some of us put miracle grow spikes in the selfishness tree, and everything is about us. And we'll never let anything touch that. But Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You can't have two trees growing in the garden. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. you got to lay the axe to one of the trees. Remember who Jesus' treasury guy was? I'm going to ask him about that someday. It was Judas. Judas always criticized the generous givers woman thinks she is. Look at her. She's pouring out all that perfume on Jesus' feet. Hey, give me the money. I've got better uses for it than that. And whenever you have a project, there's Judas and there's sacrificial givers. And the Judas will sit there justified in why that person shouldn't be doing what that person's doing right now. And you can sit there and you can pretend piously that you love the Lord, but you're, you're, you're always laying the ax to the generosity tree. And you're judging anyone else that's more generous than you. That's the warning in this message. We all could be a Judas. We heard about a, a church down the street that was building a building. 
So we sent one of our pastors over with a check to bless them. Pastor knocks on the office door. They invite him in. He goes, here's a check to bless you for your building fund. The pastor goes, I am so convicted. We're just sitting here criticizing Gateway Church. It's just human nature. We need to really guard our hearts. Uh, pass generosity tips. Um, I was in Taiwan, and there was a pastor whose church had exploded in, uh, in the south part of the island. And his, he and his wife had given everything to build this church, and just things didn't work out. They took their last dollars. They went to a conference, and Robert Morris was preaching at the conference. So Robert does what Robert does. He walked up to him. He gave him $50. He said, here, I think you could use this. It's all they had. But they saw that as a sign that God wanted them to start another church. So with that $50, they went back to their town. They started another church. In two years, they had a new congregation. They had bought a guitar factory, and they had a million dollars in the bank. So Gateway Worship came down and, and did a concert for him. pastor walked up to Mark Harris and said, here, I want you to give this to Robert Morris. It's $5,000. So, well, what's the $5,000 for? It's 100 times what he gave me when he gave me that $50. And tell him, thank you. Can you imagine that? God can take $50 and encourage the heart of one leader and give him the boldness and the faith to go on and start all over again and to see something great happen for God. I, I was teaching on generosity, the same message, in Hanover, Germany. And I, I love teaching Germans. They're so frank. And this one pastor raises his hand and goes, you know, question and answer time. All right. Tell me, why are you having this conference? Why didn't you charge us anything? And what is your motivation? That was the question. And so I, I told him the story. I said, well, I, I want to just share with you our testimony of what generosity means. We had a worship meeting. And in the worship meeting, uh, we decided to have a reverse offering. So what we did, we didn't tell the people this, but... The elders of the church were up front. We had $10,000 in buckets. And one of the pastors goes, if you have a need, stand up right now. So there were people that, that stood up. And he goes, we want to meet every need that's in our church right now. So all of you and anyone else, if you didn't stand up, but you have a serious need that's really concerning you, we want you to come forward. And they were going to just pray and then Bless them with the $10,000 that was up front. And then he said, and if you're back there and God prompts you to give to someone who's coming forward, feel free to do that. So my administrator is a single mom. Her husband was a drug addict who left her, and she's raising their boy by, by herself. And they had all these legal bills. She had $14,000 of legal bills, so she stood up. I did this in Germany, too. She starts walking forward, and people start putting money in her hands like this. 
And by the time she got to the front, she had $1,200 in her hand. So she thought, well, I don't need to go up to where the elders are. I'm just going to go sit down. So the next day, she goes to her lawyer, and she says, I want to make a payment on what I owe you. And she gave her $1,200 and, and change. And so he goes, that's a strange amount to pay. Why are you giving me this amount of money? She said, my church. My church gave that to me to pay this bill. And he was just, he didn't know what to say. He was just kind of, he went on to something else. And then as she was leaving, he, he said, you know something? I'm not going to let any church outgive me. I'm going to take that much off the bill again. And he took the same amount off the bill. Then she gets a phone call from him the next week. And he says, I can't get this out of my mind. He says, from now on, every payment you make for this bill, I'm going to put it in a fund for your son's education. That's radical generosity. That's what God can do with your money. When you have a heart of faith, God can take that $50 and transform your little daughter's life. He can meet every need. My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So I told that to those pastors there in Germany, and I think they finally got it. The generosity isn't something some rich American church talks about. Generosity has to do with the nature of, the, of God himself, a, a core attribute that describes your life and describes my life and releases blessing all over the earth. Mary took a pound of very costly oil, and she anointed the feet of Jesus. Judas was selfish and pretended concern for the poor. You know, it's amazing how we can become generous the farther it is from us. So politically, you can be generous. I want to meet all the needs of the poor, in San Diego. But when it comes to meeting the needs of someone right in front of you, you're cold as ice. God wants to flip that. He doesn't want you philosophically to be generous. He wants you in demonstration to be generous. He wants us to be generous in word and in deed. So it's ironic. Jesus said, Wherever the gospel is preached, the story of this woman will be told, the story of her generosity. But you know, there's another story that's told. It's the story of Judas. Because the two stories stand side by side. Because that is the human condition. All of us, every day, have a choice to be like Mary and pour it all out, or to be like Judas and justify of selfishness. Adopting those Russian kids was a generosity test for me. What is the generosity test in your life? That one surprised me. I never expected, hey, God's going to test me by adoption. See, God is designed that some of you, you better stick your fingers in your ears right now because this is dangerous. God has designed the perfect generosity test for you. Mine was adoption. Yours will be something else. 
But he's designed it in a way that you can see your own heart. And you can see what he sees. And the wonderful thing about God the teacher, you flunk the test, you take it all over again. Because he wants us to learn the lesson of generosity. So, yeah, thank you, Craig. Thank you for that. Generosity, there's a generosity test for every one of us. It's a stress test. It's foundational. And for this church, it's a key to reaching the nations. I was, um, I was in Kiev at a worship conference, and the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder. He said, remember when you responded to my call to adopt those kids? said, um, I remembered all of your big prayers. Anyone ever pray big prayers? Okay, then those big prayers, there's a corresponding generosity test that go with the prayers. I remembered all of your prayers, okay? And so then, and I heard this phrase, so I said to myself, I said to myself, I'm going to give Craig and Linda the five most vulnerable kids I can find. And if they're faithful in a little thing, I'll give them their big prayers. I'll give them the nations. All my big prayers were about the the nations. And and that's what he did. Answered my prayers by giving me a generosity test and showing me what was in my heart. Let's pray.